Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 37 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It is also brought to you in part by one of my favorite places to play live music when you are able to play live music and that is Prohibition in Charleston and in Savannah. The place is the best. Uh, they got the best brunch in, in all of Charleston. Uh, they got the best staff, great drinks, great food. It's a killer place. So once everything gets back to normal, and if you're in town visiting Charleston, please be sure to stop by Prohibition. Uh, I'm there usually every Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, sorry this podcast is getting out there a little bit late here today. I have been suffering from a heck of a migraine and sitting in front of this computer here and, and editing this podcast is like just giving me vertigo. So uh, I'm going to make this real quick. I want to thank everybody here for who's who's been um, joining the Patreon page. I really appreciate it. All the people buying merch. I'm down to one trucker hat, and I've got five large shirts and one medium shirt left, um, regular and or tie-dyed. My daughter's making them special order. So if you want one of those, that'd be awesome. I really appreciate everybody who's been getting that stuff. The Spotify playlist is a great place to check out music uh, from this podcast uh, that is featured on these episodes. I'm going to feature, we didn't really talk about it, but Baron has got... Um, uh, he's got an album on Spotify called Fine Times, and he's got a Bandcamp page as well. You can get all this stuff at mandolinsandbeer.com. Um, before we start this, I want to try something a little bit different here, too. I have been listening pretty nonstop to an album that is coming out here in a few weeks by Dylan McCarthy, and it's called Lost and Found, and he had a song that just came out recently uh, that is called Mosquito. It's the first single off the uh off the release and I'm going to play it for you here at the top of this podcast before we get into the interview. This is a great song. The whole album is great. So you should go and check out Dylan. I'll have the links to his stuff also at mandolinsandbeer.com and you can pre-order this album. It's great. Uh, so and support a mandolins and beer podcast listener. So thank you so much to Dylan. This is Mosquito.
There you go. Dylan McCarthy, Mosquito, off his new album, Lost and Found, which comes out in just a few weeks. Be sure to check him out. Um, next week's guest, a legend, Tim O'Brien. Cannot wait to, uh, to talk to Tim. So cheers, everybody. Thank you so much. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And if you got a few seconds here in this downtime, leave a review on the iTunes store. All right. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast uh, a very often requested guest on the podcast here, Baron Collins Hill. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for uh, thank you for doing it. Although I think we all and we have plenty of time. I think <laughs> right yeah, now uh, to do these sort of things. Yeah, plenty plenty of time to to you know do all the fun stuff now. Yeah, exactly. And you just moved cross country. You were saying. I did. I. Uh, I've been a mayor my whole life, living in Maine. I uh, grew up there, and now I am uh, in Portland, Oregon. And we're home of home of a couple great guests from this podcast. Some great musicians out there in Portland. So um, hopefully, you guys can go face to face when this stuff all goes back to normal. Yeah, I've uh, only been out here, you know, a month or so, and was just starting to get to know the scene, and then everything shut down. But I'm looking forward to. Uh, getting out and playing music with people when the the time is right. All right. So, what started you on your mandolin journey? Well, I uh, was at a friend's house, family friend's house, and I heard Nickel Creek's first uh, or their self-titled album came out around 2000. Chris Thiele and you know, I didn't even know what the instrument was. I was sort of like, I, I know it's not a guitar and I know it's not a fiddle, but I don't know what that is. And uh, the family friend was like, oh, it's a mandolin. And actually, I play a little bit of mandolin. It's got a beautiful old uh, teens Gibson oval hole. Uh, and he said, let me show you a couple chords and sat me down, showed me G, C and D and actually sent me home with this old uh banjo mandolin oh, it was no super kidding. hard to play but uh you know it got, it got me going and it was it was good for gc and d and that's about it yeah i saw it a couple of years ago and the action is like <laughs> unfit for anything really but uh that's kind of the way it goes with those old banjo mandolins yeah those always seem really really cool until you like play it a couple times you're like man i would use this like once <laughs> yeah one of these days, I'm I'm look I'm got my eye out for the right old banjo mandolin. I play a lot of tenor banjo as well in Irish sessions, um, and I, but so now I've kind of gone down the banjo rabbit hole. But looking for the right banjo mandolin, one of these days. The nice thing is they're not that expensive because nobody likes them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I the about the only time I ever get the jonesing for one is listening to the uh, Shady Grove album with uh, Grisman and Garcia, yeah. and then you hear uh, sailing or stealing, and I'm like, oh, cool. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be the one time I use it. Yeah, there's some cool. I've gotten into some cool old time music from, uh, like Alabama from a friend who's from down there, and uh, 
they they've got some cool like a lot of kind of old time tunes in like C and F and a little more kind of ragtime flavored stuff. And sometimes you'll hear a, a banjo mandolin in in that context, and I really like that too. It's you know it's, it's a little bit jazzier, kind of the cool flat keys C and F, and that's that's got a good sound. But yeah, it's not your it's not going to be your average uh, <laughs> bluegrass. Hoss. Right, right. What's uh, what's some of the bands that, or some of the tunes that you would uh, find that in, in some of the Alabama ragtime stuff? Um, so my friend who, and actually we're working on an album that should hopefully come out sometime in the maybe this summer. But, oh, cool. You know, with the way things are going up, my friend Emily Jeffries grew up down there and uh, then moved to Maine. And we actually met in college. I went to school out in Western Massachusetts at Hampshire College. Um, and we met out there and played some tunes and then she ended up moving to Maine and we've played music. And I, I really only play uh six string guitar in that, in that group. Um, but it's just a duo and we, we play a lot of kind of, you know, it's not your classic kind of cliff top style, old time, like round peak stuff. I'm not great with all the names. I'm kind of new to the music, but uh, sure. yeah, a lot of, a lot of cool kind of little more raggy tunes that, are a lot of fun. So what was your first mandolin after you got that, uh, after you, you, you were, uh, baptized with the banjo yeah, mandolin? The banjo mandolin. Uh, so the first mandolin I got, I got just from, it was the, the one hanging on the wall at the local music store. Uh, we have a great local music store that I grew up with down home music in Fairfield, Maine. I believe it's in Fairfield. It's kind of right on the line. So I'm not sure. An MA 100, which is that kind of the, you know, it's, it was at the time, at least, I don't even, I haven't seen a, a Johnson mandolin in a while, but, uh, it was the classic hundred dollar mandolin that you could find anywhere. And it, not a great mandolin. Yeah. I had a Johnson as well, um, for my first mandolin and I can agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it does the trick, but it, my, my friend had a, the, the F style version, but it's still kind of like the bottom end of the, the top totally caved in after a while. <laughs> like, no kidding. All the braces fell out, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe their quality control has gone up since, you know, that was around 2000. So lots can happen in 20 years. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I I wish I had the, op, you know, like there, there's so much good, the, the general quality of mandolin that you can get these days for the money is much, much better than what I grew up with. It's unbelievable the, the difference in quote unquote entry level mandolins from the early from like in the early 2000s like you could get a real garbage mandolin for a few hundred bucks and now you can get a pretty yeah. nice quality mandolin for a yeah. couple hundred bucks and actually you have a resource on your website which is mandolessons.com which we'll really start getting into shortly here but you actually have like a resource section for for people who are looking for like different levels of mandolin yeah you know things really have widened out so it's it's hard to say like this is the one but in general uh, you know, if people are looking for a first mandolin and have a couple hundred bucks, I always recommend the uh, Kentucky KM one hundred or sorry, one hundred and fifty. Um, it's, it's all I think it's all solid wood, and it's uh, if if it comes well set up, you know, you never know what you're going to get if you get it off eBay or Amazon. But if you get it either from a local store that is going to do a setup in house, or get it from like elderly or the mandolin store is a bunch of great kind of online focused re retailers that will do a good setup job. And, you know, those things are incredible value. 
and the same with like this occasionally come across the the entry level eastmans and those are equally equally great yeah that's that's it's it's a staggers me even picking them up when i'm at a store somewhere and i'm like holy cow i can't believe it where were these you know like you said 20 years ago yeah yeah better late than never yeah exactly now's a good time so did you start did you start right off did you go out just buy a nickel creek book and try to learn that album or did you uh I, i didn't um pretty much i was very you know my my uh friend that lent me the the banjo mandolin played a couple like kind of irish tunes and new england repertoire fiddle tunes but pretty much he taught me three chords and i was like all right i got three chords i can play a lot of folk songs i looked up some like kind of early grateful dead stuff um like i know you rider a lot of the grisman garcia pizza tape stuff in a long black face visits my grave when the night winds wave nobody knows nobody sees nobody um, so I, I started like looking for three chord songs um, and really spent a lot of time <laughs> kind of limiting myself to three chord songs, kind of not intentionally, but just being like, I only know three chords. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, figure out all the, the three chord songs I can. I, there was a bluegrass festival that used to be right next to my house or not right next to my house, but right next to a friend's house, like 10 minutes down the road from me. Um, Blistered fingers. It's still going. It's moved further downstate it used to be in sydney maine and now i think it's in litchfield or i can't remember what town it's in now um but it's a great uh bluegrass festival they get some good acts and uh i started going to that in the summer they have a couple i think they do it one in june and one in august or they did at the time anyway and i would go there and you know go picking in the parking lot and i would just wander around looking for people playing in the key of g <laughs> and like, be like, all right, this seems to be a three chord song in the key of G. I'm going to go join them. And I play chords and didn't know how to take solos or anything. And then they'd be like, all right, let's do one in D now. And I'd be like, all right, see you later. <laughs> uh, there's another group over here. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, occasionally, I think the song that really started opening up my chordal palette, I really wanted to learn to play The Weight by the band. Oh, yeah. And it's got a B minor, and I was like, I love that song. I was playing it in G, so it'd be like G and then B minor, then a C, then back to G. It's four, it's three chords except for that pesky B minor. And I was like, I really want to learn that. And I was like, wait, I can just like look it up online, how to play a, a B minor. You know, I, I wasn't taking lessons, and I was using pretty much Mandolin Cafe almost exclusively to just and actually mandozine i was starting to find tabs on mandozine yeah 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 um they've got a great resource this program i don't know how to say it tab tab let it yeah tab edit um, table edit table i don't yeah. know i don't, I don't, I don't exactly know exactly what you're it, talking about though i i pretty much learned from the mandolin cafe and uh a lot of fiddle tunes from the tab let it program um a lot of people have put a lot of time into making great resources there it's incredible some of the accuracy that people have nailed down on that program for solos, yeah. like complex solos. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good stuff. So yeah. I, 
I, you know, I found a, found a B minor and then I was like, oh wait, I can just really look up whatever chord I need and sort of broaden my palette from there. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. And then, so what did, what did you dive into after you started um, broadening your, your chords and, and different things like that? What were some of your artists that, that you really dove into? I think I sort of, you know, I, because I first heard mandolin in a bluegrass context, I was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's what mandolins do. So, you know, going to the bluegrass festival and starting to hear kind of contemporary bluegrass mandolin players, Chris Thiele, Sam Bush, David Grisman, he's not always bluegrass, but, uh, you know, kind of the, 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 the heavy hitters, the Mount Rushmore of, yeah. uh, of mandolin, mandolinists that you're going to hear in kind of the bluegrass circles mm-hmm. and, you know, started getting into them playing bluegrass and I enjoyed it, but what really drew me in in bluegrass was the, you know, there's a, a couple dozen fiddle tunes that bluegrass players will play. You got like uh, Bill Cheatham and Whiskey Before Breakfast and stuff like that. And I always was really drawn to the instrumental fiddle tunes. But I, I was like, well, okay, there's like, you know, I've, I've heard about a dozen or so of these things that get recycled around. And I guess that's probably all the fiddle tunes there are. So <laughs> too bad there aren't any more of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was playing bluegrass for a while. And then I went to a uh, a music camp to pick up a friend who was also a, a great mandolin player, uh, Jeff Lewis, who also grew up in Maine and now is out in Western Massachusetts. I think soon moving to L.A., um, but he's a great mandolin player, but also plays uh, guitar and other instruments in a rock band called the Sun Parade. Um, but he uh, I, I, he was like, hey, can you come like give me a ride home from this thing called Main Fiddle Camp? And I was like, oh, yeah, all right. And I went and I I heard it's all fiddle tunes. There are fiddle tunes from Maine. There's fiddle tunes from Ireland going on, Quebec and old time tunes and Scandinavian tunes. And I was like, whoa, OK, this is this is something else. This is kind of what I've been looking for. And pretty much from that, I continued to play bluegrass, but um, from that point on, and that was around 2008, I really started diving uh, hard into the the world of fiddle tunes. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the real weird ones that you uh, first came across where you're like, well, this is a fiddle tune, but wow, this is a, (laughs) this is a strange, I'm always, I always love like when you're at a jam and somebody plays you just some oddball song you've never heard yeah, and you're like, oh wow, actually a lot of people know this song. It's just me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. I think, you know, because Maine is a really great uh, area for traditional fiddle music because it's, it's right in between a lot of kind of, uh, greater um, cultural and geographic kind of fiddle traditions. Mm-hmm. So you've got Irish music coming up from Boston. You've got old time music from like the folk revival and further south. Uh, so you get a little bit of that. You get some bluegrass. You get uh, Quebecois music down from Quebec. Oh, cool. uh, and there's some Scandinavian communities in Maine. Uh, and you see so you get some Scandinavian music. And you kind of can combine all of that. And then there's sort of this uh, kind of there's 
there's tunes that were written by Mainers way back in the day, and you get sort of this New England tradition combined with contra dancing, and it it really kind of creates not only its own style of music, um, but also you just get you get a lot of influences. So a lot of a lot of traditional musicians in Maine will play Irish music and old time music and Quebec music. Um, whereas I th- I think in some other regions of the world that I've uh, come across people tend to be a little more kind of focused on you know they you're an irish musician or you're a old-time musician and in maine you find a lot of people that do a little bit of everything oh cool that's great so yeah i started you know i was i was hearing a lot of tunes from quebec which is great and i love that tradition they've got a tradition of uh crooked tunes where they uh they'll have another extra little beat or something in there so it's sort of going along just like you expect and then you're like oh wait no i'm totally lost i don't even know where the downbeat is anymore and i i got into that stuff and started going to quebec and uh hanging out with some musical mentors up there uh guy bouchard is an excellent fiddle player and we would just go i would go up with some friends and hang out at his house and just play crooked tunes all day and all night and eat delicious food and go on walks with his huskies and yeah good time yeah that sounds like a good time <laughs> did you start taking um lessons with any people right there in 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 your home state as well too not really no I, i've pretty much been self-taught for the in terms of kind of mandolin specific stuff i took a couple lessons with a fiddle player named ed howe uh who's a great fiddle player he plays bluegrass he plays contra dance music um and he was living um near me at the time and i took a he was he's, he plays a little bit of mandolin but he's mostly a fiddle player but he showed me a couple tunes and clued me into some cool music like uh he's there's this scottish group called sugar nifty now lives in australia maybe he always has but uh there's actually one of my favorite albums is called oh what is it called i'm gonna have to look it up here but it's a it's a luke plum solo album that is excellent it's just mandolin and a percussionist oh really yeah and it's it's a really cool album it's called a splendid notion oh, and it's cool. luke plum with uh james mcintosh who's the percussionist in in sugar nifty and they play a lot of uh luke's original tunes and some uh irish tunes and some scottish tunes and it's it's just a really cool album it's an it's a combination you don't get to hear all the time yeah that's awesome it's very cool you have to check that out so i've mostly been self-taught um i would pick up a lesson here and there mostly from not so much mandolin players but fiddle players um and because there's just a lot more fiddle players around so um, you mentioned contra dancing actually a couple times here, and for people who might not be familiar with that, listening to the podcast, could you maybe give them a little bit of a uh, an explanation of what that is? Definitely. So it's uh, it's not altogether that different from square dancing. It's a, a definitely a different tradition that's got a little more English and French uh, 
history to it. But uh, rather than being in small groups of eight kind of squares mm-hmm. as for square dancing, it's you're in long lines uh, and you sort of do some patterns. You'll do dosy dos and uh, other, you know, swing your partner, things like that. But there's a there's a caller. They they tell you what to do as the dancer. And then they've you've got uh, the musicians playing kind of classic fiddle tunes, whether they're Irish or old time or New England tunes. Um yeah, and it's a, it's a really fun. It's a great community all across uh, the U.S. and the world, really, of people playing uh, and dancing and calling for contra dances. And it's it's a great community. There's a guy here in Charleston who actually wrote a uh, contra dance book. I think that's out on Mel Bay. John Holenko is his name. Super nice, nice guy. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. He's a great player. So, when did you decide that you wanted to uh, dedicate your life t- to music? Ah. Uh, I guess maybe that's a good question. I mean, I, I was sucked in really hard right from the get go. You know, I, I got my first mandolin that Johnson mandolin and pretty much just kind of wore it around the house every waking hour and just, (laughs) you know, fiddling around with it. And, uh, I never really thought about it as practice just because I, I loved what I was doing so much. And I thought practice was like something boring that you had to like sit around and, (laughs) you know, like focus on things you didn't want to do. Um, but I guess it was practice and I try to, I think that sort of has guided my style of playing or of, of like musicality in general is just kind of focusing on having fun with the instrument. I've never been a particularly dedicated, I go through phases, but for the most part, I just kind of play whatever I feel like playing and I don't spend too much time with scales and other exercises and stuff but Mm -hmm. you know so i was i was pretty heavy into it from the get-go and just sort of was playing a lot and the great thing about the mandolins it's small i could put it in my car and uh play during my lunch break at work or (laughs) at school or whatever it was and then i guess in terms of like really thinking of it as a main focus in my life i think a combination of going to main fiddle camp and just having this like insanely positive experience and so my first year that I went was 2008. And then I went to college, uh, again, uh, Hampshire College out in Western Mass. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was a little interested in math, a little interested in kind of cognitive science, a little bit into music. And after one semester there, I was like, okay, I really want to do music. And I, th- I thought about transferring to a uh, um conservatory either like new england conservatory or berkeley both in boston um but i ended up staying at hampshire really glad i did there's a great uh musical community there and i ended up studying a lot of jazz um and i don't play that much jazz anymore really um i've kind of lost all those jobs (laughs) but uh it was it was definitely the most kind of classic uh music education that i've had in my life i was you know just listening to a lot of jazz and i i knew that jazz wasn't really the number one thing that i wanted to do in my life but i really i love jazz i love listening to jazz and pretending to play it uh, <laughs> and you know it's it makes a lot more sense to me to study something that's a, got a um it's you know a little more kind of technically challenging than uh fiddle tunes you know then there's great kind of roots programs at places like berkeley and nec 
Um, but for me, I, you know, if I was going to go to school, I really wanted to kind of be outside my comfort zone and learning a new skill. And I'd been playing fiddle tunes for a long time. So I was like, okay, I can take this time to learn more about theory and more about um, kind of the history of jazz and playing jazz. I got into a lot of open improvisation. Oh, cool. Um, and kind of some of the freer stuff. And I think that's, it really has helped shape me as a traditional musician, even though I think at first glance, they're often seen as quite different, you know, like mm -hmm. open improvisation and free jazz and fiddle tunes seem kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum. But I think for me, there, there's a lot that's connected between them. Yeah. What was it that, what, what is it that kind of resonates for you between those two things? I think part of what it is, is that, you know, with, with open improvisation, there's kind of this blank slate of like, you're starting with silence and you can add a sound or a noise or a percussive uh, accent. You know, it's, it's, you're starting from this blank slate and that while it's open and you sort of, there's quote unquote, no rules, there's definitely a, um, a way that things are done. You know, open improvisation isn't like, okay, we're going to start with a blank slate and then I'm going to play this major scale or this tune, or it tends to be a little more amelodic. Mm hmm for lack of a better word. Whereas with fiddle tunes, I think, you know, you, you start with a slate that's very musically dense, you know, often a lot of fiddle tunes are just straight eighth notes. Um, but it sort of gives you the same platform where, you know, you, you kind of know the rules going in. It's just like the one is a very musically dense starting point. One is a very musically sparse starting point. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of playing around with those within their kind of idiom to sort of figure out like, okay, what can I do? What's the right thing to do at this point? And it, you know, depends on who you're playing with in both, um, you know, traditional music and open improvisation, who you're playing with really is going to define the sound. And it's true with any music. Um, but also thinking like, okay, if I'm in a bluegrass jam, I'm going to be taking solos. But if I'm playing Irish music or old time music, there's a whole different level of, improvisation that happens you know it's not if you're playing music that doesn't rely on solos and breaks and some of that more kind of technical front and center improvisation there's still ways that uh musicians will kind of express themselves within sort of the rules that are given by the style of music and so i just find those you know like kind of learning those rules is a an integral part of of the music, no matter what kind of music you're playing. Who were some of the uh, jazz guys that you were listening to when you were kind of, kind of getting into it there at school? Uh, I was kind of all, all over the place. You know, I, I learned a lot of kind of the, the classic um, kind of bebop stuff. And, you know, I, to, at this point I'm mostly kind of some of my favorite mu musicians, Chet Baker. Yeah. Um, he's a, favorite of mine kenny burrell great jazz guitarist love kenny um, burrell yeah um and that's uh, kind of another little major musical part of my life was you know I, I got to school and i knew i wanted to learn jazz and you hear people talking about like the scales you need to know and the this and that and the standards and all this sort of stuff that you need to like what what scale can you play over the you know like minor flat five chord sort of stuff and I was like oh this is this is all very dense to me I don't really understand like I don't know where to jump into this 
and a friend of mine had just transferred from a music conservatory, the uh, the new school in New York, uh, and he was there studying jazz guitar, but fell in love with the five string banjo and Earl Scruggs. Oh wow! And uh, and was like, all right, I gotta pursue this. So he came to Hampshire, which is a very um, kind of build your own major kind of place. It's very it's geared towards sort of you know uh, creating what you want rather than taking specific classes on and, and going through specific curriculum, you sort of, you know, if, if you were a banjo, it's sort of, it collects people like me. I was a mandolin player who was interested in jazz or met my friend, Max Wareham, who transferred in was a, uh, a jazz guitarist who was into the five string banjo. It sort of brought those sort of people into one spot. And so I asked Max, I was like, Max, you played, you're a great jazz musician. Like, what do I need to know to get into jazz? And he said, and I was like, I was ready to like hear what scales he thought I should learn. And he said, you should listen to Midnight Blue by Kenny Burrell every day for a month. And I did, and it really kind of shaped my understanding of jazz. It's a great album. It's very blues-based. It's pretty pared down. It's There's not a whole lot of dense instrumentation. You know, it's it got a lot of great kind of fundamentals going on, but also Kenny's kind of melodic sense and rhythmic sense is so good, and he really knows how to kind of expand the bubble. And so I, I've kind of taken that in as my kind of main source of education is like if you want to learn how to play a particular kind of music i think one of the biggest things you can do is just listen to whatever draws you in and listen to it a lot you know really immerse yourself in it even if it's you know people are interested in listening to bluegrass i'm like all right well take your favorite bluegrass album and just play it regularly and you know even if it's just while you're doing the dishes or things like that um you know, just kind of surround yourself with that music and you're going to come out the other side knowing how that music works and what makes that music sound um, kind of unique to itself. Even if you don't have the like language or technical skills to explain why you just have, you'll, you'll end up with that innate ability to be like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do musically in this context and then from there, you can start building up more technical skills and um, kind of learning uh, the the whys of of what you're trying to do. Right. So when did you start up Mando Lessons? I actually started Mando Lessons in 2008. Wow. Um, so it was quite a while ago. And, you know, I, because I learned so much online, I was sort of seeing like, okay, this is like, I, I know some things that I'm not finding on the internet. Um, so, you know, I, I was at that point getting into learning tunes by ear, a lot of fiddle tunes and, you know, 
my main format to this day is sort of on mando lessons it's very fiddle tune based i'm taking a tune breaking it down into sections and kind of repeating them so you the person watching or you know if you're in a private lesson with me it's the same deal it's like i'll play a phrase and then you play it back and then it all kind of comes together as you add the phrases together and so i i think the first i put up a couple videos one is like here's a gc and d chord and then the other main lesson that i put up was a whiskey before breakfast uh lesson where i I taught it by ear and i i put it up you know it it was i had to like borrow a camcorder from a friend and then have um i had to borrow a it was like a little mini dv tape camera and then i had to get the right uh cable to like get it into my computer (laughs) and it was it it was not as uh straightforward as it is these days (laughs) um but you know, so I, I kind of got those up there and then I went off to college and didn't really think about it all that much. I put up a couple while I was in college, just with like my the webcam on my computer, but didn't really think about it all that much. And then getting out of college, I was like, oh, yeah, I've got that website. And I went back and I think kind of looking at the the reception of uh, the Whiskey Before Breakfast lesson, it was actually lessons. So YouTube started in 2006 which is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, no Because it just seems like it's been around forever, but uh, it's not even 15 years old. Um, but at that point, there was a 10-minute limit on how long you could make a video. Oh, that's right, man. <laughs> I forgot that. So it was actually Whiskey Before Breakfast Part 1 and Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went back, and there were, you know, there was like 100,000 views or something on, on the Whiskey Before Breakfast lessons. And I was like, whoa, that is like not what I expected. It seems like there's some sort of interest in this kind of music and kind of what I'm doing. So I'll just start doing more. Um, and so, yeah, it's, just, it's been very gradual over time. And at that point, I, you know, so I started making lessons kind of infrequently. And then, let's see, when would it have been? I just looked this up. In 2000, let's see, it was like six years ago. So that would have been 14. You know, so I was... I started doing lessons, one lesson a week there. And then I started my Patreon page and uh, really started getting, I had been supporting the site through like Google AdSense banner ads and the banner ads on YouTube. That was before YouTube did like video ads even. Um, but uh, I never, I never really liked having the advertisements up there. I felt like they kind of just kind of got in the way of people trying to learn had a play so i was like look if i can start this patreon started i think in maybe 2013 or 14 i was fairly early to patreon um and i was sort of like oh this is a platform that really is going to help me it's like a good fit for what i'm trying to do so i initially used it as a way to like look if i can like rather than supplementing and like running the site through uh ad like banner ads um and that was pretty much paying for hosting at that point it was not it was you know bringing in 50 bucks a month or something <laughs> sure um which i was very grateful for it was helping you know keep the site going but it was not sort of a, a living income by any means um but through patreon i was like look if i can get that money rather than ads i can if i can get it through sort of voluntary donations then i can kind of clean up the site and gauge interest and so just from there, it slowly 
got less ads as more people donated through Patreon and PayPal. Um, and at this point, it's it's most of my, um, you know, it's, it's the closest thing that I have to a real job. Yeah, that's um, great, man. And and it, uh, you know, that the site's been ad free for years now, and uh, it's it's a kind of pay if you want what you want. And uh, I'm, I think part of what made it work is kind of getting in early just because, you know, I somehow stumbled into YouTube. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know what possessed me to like put up lessons in the first place. Um, but just sort of doing that and seeing it. And, you know, now at that point, there weren't really subscription sites. Like now we have these amazing resources like uh, Artist Works and Peghead Nation, yeah. which are amazing. And, you know, if I've, I'm still sort of doing the, the free dash pay if or what you want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's worked out for me because I know that if I had $20 a month to give to a subscription service, I would take lessons from Mike Marshall rather than some dude in Maine who I've never heard. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, kind of having that and, you know, I'm not diving into this kind of uh, content that, that Mike and, uh, artist works and Pegged nation are getting into it. I feel like it's kind of a different thing. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, I think the fact that it's free has drawn an audience and then sort of made it work slowly over the years. Yeah, that's great. Well, a, the quality is, is incredible of the videos yeah, I, that, that you I do. Appreciate it. I mean, they look great. They sound great. You know, they're framed great. Like everything, they, they look as professional <laughs> as anything out there. Um, for sure. I appreciate it. And you, you got a little taste of that. Uh, so for those listening who didn't hear the beginning of this thing, I was like, Oh, well, what if I set up a mic and it, my, and it took like half an hour to get everything set up. But I'm, I've kind of mostly through kind of running a website, I've become somewhat of a technology nerd. Two of the things I love a, a couple things, obviously about your lessons, but, um, two of my favorite things that you do is the first one is you always, talk about if you're going to learn this try to learn it by ear first like if you're going to work yeah. on this song uh, try to learn it by ear before going to the tab which you which you also supply if if needed yeah. but um so one i'd like to talk to a little bit to what is the advantage of that because i know a lot of people there's the ease of just downloading yeah. a tab and being like oh, sweet yeah. it's right here but for you yeah. um what is it for you that you think it helps the player by doing i think it kind of comes from my own musical history and also the kind of music that I play, but I was the most tab dependent musician I've ever come across. You know, I, because I learned online, I I wasn't taking lessons from, you know, people (laughs) (laughs) taking lessons from tablet it. Um, You know, I was just like, okay, I can like, I can just like sit here. I got good at learning tabs, reading tabs. So I could just be like, okay, yeah, I got a tune, got a tune, got a tune. And there was just almost no retention, really. You know, I, I would be able to like read it, read a tune off the page and be like, "Oh, cool, got that," but <laughs> and then it's gone uh, in one ear, out the other. Um, and I think you know, kind of musical retention really comes from learning things by ear and not being dependent on whether it's tabs or standard notation or other sort of visual guides. And especially when you come to fiddle tunes, you know, this we're talking about a, a musical traditions that are 
hundreds and thousands of years old, um, you're not going to have, it's an oral tradition. It's not, it's not a written tradition. So um, having those sort of skills to pick things up on the fly and to, to learn without written material is kind of a, a very important aspect of the kind of music that I play. And it also, it's, it's just very freeing to, and I know this because I, because I was so dependent on tablature um, to, you know, not, you know, you don't have to carry around a, a binder full of, of sheet music or, um, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I know that one, but I don't have the music in front of me, so I can't play it. Um, I was there for a very long time and going to main fiddle camp and other fiddle camps uh, really showed me why I should be learning things by ear and really having the music in me rather than on an exterior format, whether it's a piece of sheet music or some other aid. Um, It really just kind of, it improves the the quality of the music. It, It improves the community aspect of the music because you're really engaged with other people and you're not sitting there kind of reading off a score which is, you know, has its merits too. I'm not trying to knock uh, written music in the slightest. Sure. I, I'm not a great uh, reader at this point. I can, for some reason, tab is still t- stuck with me. I did learn to read standard notation when I was in college um, doing jazz, but I'm, I'm still pretty slow. I, I, st- I did a little bit of early music, um, started out playing lute, but then they were so hard to tune that I just <laughs> ended up, this is with my friend, Max, who was the banjo and guitar player, we ended up doing early music on mandolin and five string banjo. Oh, wow. And then our instructor would play guitar and we would do some cool, like, 14 pieces from the 1400s and stuff. And I love that music. And I, you know, it's, a lot of it is not particularly technically challenging when it comes to reading. Mm-hmm. What, um, if you, somebody were to ask you for advice for how to start out, maybe some tips on, on learning by ear to, to pick up yeah. songs. Do you have any little secrets or anything that kind of helped you along the way? Um, I think, you know, there's a couple things like, I think it all really comes back to people. I think one of the big things is just having like trust in your own ear. A lot of people will say like, Oh, I, I can't learn by ear or I can't tune my mandolin because I'm, I'm tone deaf. And like one of the things that I like to do, if, like one thing I'd like to point out is like tone deafness is like I I can make you cringe by playing and by playing something that sounds bad, and if you hear it and it sounds bad, that means you're not tone deaf. <laughs> um, and I've yet to find anybody who's actually tone deaf and trying to take lessons from me. Um, but you know, one exercise that I'll do is I love using the song "You Are My Sunshine." Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a song that everybody knows. Um, and it's, it's great. It's a three chord song. You can play it in G and really just teaching people to trust in their own ears. So an exercise that I do is I'll take a song and, you know, key a G. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing I kind of say to people is like, all right, I'll tell you this. It's the first chord is a G chord and that's all you need to know. And you're just going to play it until it doesn't sound good anymore. So you 
get to happy and it doesn't sound good anymore. <laughs> right, right. And at that point, you say, okay, it doesn't sound good. Like, let's let's try something else. We're in the key of G. We've got two other options. It could be a C chord or it could be a D chord. It's a 50-50 choice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you can go through like that and just really using your ears. Um, and you'll teach yourself the chords, essentially. You know, I can... Somebody who's never picked up a mandolin before in their life, I can teach them those three chords and say, all right, here's like, here's your starting note. You are my sunshine. Go for it. And I can like leave the room for half an hour and I can come back and they'll, they'll know the right chords. Or you can do the same thing with the melody. Um, you give somebody that much of you are my sunshine and mm -hmm. say, you figure out the rest. And, you know, does it go? You can pretty much trial and error your way right through something that you know really well in your head. So I think starting with something that's kind of totally ingrained in in kind of uh, in your in your head and you know very musically on the inside is really going to help. Um, rather than saying like, okay, here's a piece of music that I just heard for the first time and now I'm going to try to play it. <laughs> right. um, that's that's like jumping a a lot of steps and a lot of years down the line of um, kind of skill acquisition. I think of kind of learning, learning to play music as, especially by ear as kind of a, there's two aspects. There's like getting the music from the outside source into your head. And then that's sort of a, that's the learning by ear part. And then there's sort of the physical manifestation of that music coming back out where your brain trans translates that onto the fretboard of the instrument and then it kind of comes back out into the world, that's a two-step process. And if you start with something that's already in your head, that's half the battle. Right. Yeah, it's a great example. And so, you know, like kind of thinking about it like that, trusting in your own ear, developing your ear. Know, know that it's not going to happen all at once. Um, it really... The the better you know the music, the easier it's going to be. And you know that goes. Yeah, I played so I when I got into fiddle tunes, I was playing tunes from Quebec um, mainly. And then you know I would hear an old time tune and be like, "Whoa, this is hard. I don't understand this." <laughs> and even though there's like they're not crooked, there's about half the notes, <laughs> and you know, like kind of technically on paper, it, it's like old time tunes, especially on the mandolin when you don't have to worry about bowing is, you know, if I was asked now, like, which is quote unquote easier, I would probably say old time is easier, but it really depends on what you're familiar with. Sure. Um, so it's often, or, you know, you think about like, um, like Balkan music traditions that have crazy time signatures to Americans anyway, like, like five and seven and 11 and 13, all these, kind of odd time signatures that is very confusing to a lot of western musicians but it's just natural to to people who grew up with that music and then you you know you throw a a four four tune in front of those guys and sometimes whew, like they struggle with that and it's like well what are you talking about this is simple compared to what you do <laughs> oh, yeah or or you, you 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 know the same thing goes with like 
traditional music and jazz. Like I would try to teach my friends, my jazz musician friends in college, I'd try to like teach them a fiddle tune and they'd be like, I don't know, this is like confusing. I'm like, what are you doing with three chords? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I can't keep up with all these like crazy chord movements that you're doing in this thing. And you're telling me you can't play like three chords in a row. Like there's only three options, but it's, it really just kind of becomes what you're familiar with. Sure. And that goes back to, you know, listening to Kenny Burrell midnight blue every day for a month. Um, or, you know, if you want to play Irish tunes, listen to Irish music every day for a month. Right. And that's, that's going to get it in your head. And that's going to be the first step of kind of creating that music. Uh, it's so cool, man. It's so, so <laughs> right on. <laughs> it's so right on the nose. The thing is like, you know, people, they, uh, I think everybody seems so time crunched nowadays. Like everything's instantaneous. You know, you have a phone yeah. that you can look up answers. You go to, you know, you're, you're mad if you go to Starbucks and have to wait more than three minutes to get a coffee. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not to say I've transcended that. Oh anyway, yeah. I'm, no, no. I'm still just as impatient as the next person. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, it's funny. Like I see, it's interesting balancing my own philosophy with kind of modern culture because I teach at a very like slow pace. Um, and I often will kind of talk through things in a video. And a lot of the times I can see that, like, if I'm really kind of getting into something, all the comments turn into like, Oh, just play music and stop talking. <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'm sort of like, no, you don't understand. This is like, this is the way that it's done. It's not an instantaneous product but then i'll go watch like uh a, a youtube video on like how to use my camera and i'm like oh can you just get to the point <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it's it all comes around that's so funny and the other thing here uh, um before i want to talk to you uh, since you have a mandolin there talk about gear but the other thing i love about your videos is how you do um you do a simplified kind of version and then yep. like a little bit more of a of a like ornamentation version or a more difficult version which is one of the yep. best mandolin books i had ever gotten was a john mccann book i think which was variations on melodies yeah, or something that's a great book yeah man and it was so cool because i was like oh wow so there's there you know when you're looking up like fisher's hornpipe you know the first time i ever heard it was probably Thiele and mike marshall it's yep. you know probably that's a lot of folks that's my introduction yeah you know but then you go and listen to other versions like wait a minute there's different wait this sounds yeah. i mean it sounds like the same song but it seems easier yeah. and then you realize totally. oh okay they started there too <laughs> yeah uh, so i totally. love that too i love that you do that that's so great yeah that was a, i've kind of that's kind of one of the more recent things i've started to do and that was actually somebody i think on patreon or one of my live streams was like hey can you do this and I did it for, and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I did it for one tune and everyone was like, yeah, more of this, more of this. And I've been doing a lot of those. And I think it goes back to, you know, like the, spend the time listening. And if you, if you know a simple version of a tune and then are exposed to a more complex version and I can sort of, I'm not going to do tabs for those because I always do it different, Sure, but I, you know, I'm, I'm able to like kind of talk through what I'm doing and I have the resources on my website to kind of learn how to add double stops and ornaments and things like that. Um, but yeah, that was a, a, a patron request, I think initially, but it's, I love, and I, I really feel like my life as a teacher has taught me just as much or more that I feel like I've, I give out as information. Every time somebody says like, Oh, what are you doing there? It starts out, you know, the first time I, 
I gave a mandolin lesson was in college to a friend. They were like, will you give me mandolin lessons? I was like, uh, yes, but I'm not going to charge you because I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and they'd be like, oh, what are you doing there? And I'm like, I have no idea. Let's find out. And so, you know, getting questions that I don't know how to answer makes me a more kind of informed musician um, of kind of what what's going on, why I'm doing what I'm doing, all that sort of stuff comes from for me i think i've learned most of that from trying to teach other people yeah that's great so let's talk let's talk a little nerdy talk now let's talk sure. a little bit about mandolin gear what do you uh all right what were you just playing there was that is that your main axe there this is yeah this is my main mandolin it's an ellis uh made by tom ellis down in austin texas yeah it was made in 2009 i got it in 2009 oh, from the cool. music emporium uh in Lexington, Massachusetts. Yeah, awesome. One man. of the most dangerous stores to walk into. <laughs> I bet. Oh my gosh, what drew you to it? I just I was on my way to New York to work on a farm for a summer, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, I've heard of this place. I'll go in there." And I walked in and played it, and was like, "Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is." I was playing. I had a great mandolin at the time. I was playing a Gibson A nine that I had gotten off the classified, the mandolin cafe classifieds. Uh, I don't have it anymore, but it's a totally great mandolin. Um, but there was something about the Ellis that was just like, Oh, okay. This, this is, this is my sound. Yeah. Um, and I actually didn't get it then. I went because <laughs> I didn't, didn't have the money. Uh, so I, I went and worked all summer on a farm and came back through a couple months later and it was luckily still there. And I was oh, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, the second time's a charm. Got to, jump on this while I can. That's great. Yeah, and it's been my main main mandolin for over 10 years now. And I have I've I have a uh an old I have a 24 Gibson A. It's not an A junior. I had an A junior for a while, but then found this A. It's before the A1 2 3 but above the junior. Gotcha. It's just the straight A. So Laura Snakehead um, oval hole mandolin that I really like as well. Oh, nice! Yeah, and that's that's pretty much it for mandolin. I have a lot of instruments, but those are the two mandolins. I've I've got a lot of tenor guitars, <laughs> uh, tenor guitars that I tune often mostly like a mandolin. Acoustics I tune GDAD mm-hmm. and do a lot of kind of accompaniment with those. Um, but then I've I've recently gotten into some electric instruments. I've got a tenor telecaster that fender made oh recently. yeah you actually and, got a hold of one those are uh those I are did, a, tough yeah. find, man. <laughs> a little hard to a little hard to come by they went quick yeah you like it though i love it yeah it's cool super fun i'm new to the world of electric instruments but it, it's a it's a fun diversion and yeah but yeah for mandolins pretty much just those two nice yeah that's that's sometimes that's all i've you got a, a collings <laughs> mandola that i also really Oh, cool, man! I'm telling you, I have got such mandola envy right now. It is like, <laughs> and like the worst time to have it. Like, hey, yeah, so, oh, there's no income, so maybe yeah. a mandola is the last thing you need yeah. to be thinking about. Think about no to get income some gigs and again. plenty of time to surf the web, <laughs> yeah. looking at all the nice stuff you can't have. Yeah, exactly. Um, how about strings and picks? Uh, strings on the Ellis, I use the Dario uh, J75s. Uh, now they're EJ75s. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still getting used to that. It's only been like five years that that's been changed, and I can't get it out of my head. Um, picks. I've gone through a lot of picks. I 
I started out using dog picks. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think I went to Wigan's or Wagon. I don't know how to say the name um, for a little while. Then I went to Blue Chips for a little while, um, but lost a couple too many of those. To feel good <laughs> um, and now I'm using the on mandolin. I'm using a Primetone uh, 1.5 large triangles kind of like it's it's a, a, it's very similar i honestly can't tell the difference between that and like what i was using before with blue chips the ct55 oh sure yeah um and i i, I you know they're these are a dollar a piece or two bucks a piece rather than 35 and i love blue chips um but i i couldn't justify them for myself anymore <laughs> uh and then on my gibson i use lighter strings i think i've got either 74s or whatever the light gauge is and i can never remember if it's 73 or 76 but um and then i use i was using i'm really heavy-handed right hand player so i actually wear for some reason i don't wear through the 1.5 millimeter large triangles but i have on that gibson i use a a one millimeter and i was using prime tones or fender heavies but i would just wear through them really quick so i've recently changed over to uh nylon has it dunlop nylons i don't remember who makes the little gray nylon picks and those are great because i can't wear through them and i i use so i use one millimeter actually i use they're they're a little floppier material so i use a i think it's a 1.14 um that approximates the stiffness of a one millimeter um like fender heavy yeah okay yeah um and then on tenor guitar i use a I was using a 0.6, um, like Tortex, and now I use a 0.72, I think it is, nylon. And it, like, I could, I can wear through Fender Heavies and Tortexes, like, a, <laughs> a couple a night if I'm playing a contra dance. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, but the, the, the nylon ones are so much more resistant that I, I don't think I've ever worn through one. So I got two questions left here. Sure. Um, uh, the first one is, is if you had 10 minutes a day to pick up your mandolin, what would you recommend to somebody to work on? Yeah. I mean, I have, I'll start by saying I have the exact same philosophy. Oh, sweet. Uh, you know, like uh, if you can pick up the mandolin, I don't even say 10 minutes. I say like, if you can pick it up for 60 seconds, like that's, I think like, you know, 60 seconds once or twice a day is going to be better than not playing all week and then sitting down on the weekend when you think you've got a little more time and trying to force yourself to play for two hours. Right. You know, you're, you're going to, you're going to overload yourself. It's not going to be fun. Um, you're going to be sitting there 10 minutes in being like, Oh, is my two hours done now. Whereas if you say 60 seconds, it's like, you can try to play for 60 seconds, but you're going to go longer just cause, uh, but you know, just say like, if all I can do is pick up the instrument. So, what I often say is like, you know, leave your instrument out in a safe place, but out of the case where it's always looking at you. And, you know, I keep it next to my desk and I like attach a, put an attachment on an email waiting for that to upload. And I'll just pick up the mandolin and all done. And you know, that's like three seconds, but it just gives you a little more time with the instrument. I think my, one of my big philosophies is just kind of spending the bulk of your time, uh, kind of focusing on having fun with the instrument. Sure. So, you know, if there's something you're working on, that's like a technical thing, like relaxing while you're playing or pick direction or 
a particular ornament, that stuff's great to work on, but it's also really kind of intensive in terms of focus. Mm -hmm. So I'll say like, you know, spend, spend 60 seconds every time you pick up the instrument on focusing on playing relaxed or whatever the technique is. Um, and then move on, you know, move on to do whatever you like to do best, play a fiddle tune or, um, a song. And then occasionally if you, you know, like you can use that as a little like reward. And then after five minutes of that, if you're still going, maybe go back to work on, uh, the technique you're working on, but really small sections of that, because, you know, it doesn't make sense to say like, I'm going to work on being relaxed for an hour. <laughs> right. It <laughs> doesn't even make sense. Like you, you can't, it can't be done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture myself trying to go to one of those like silence camps for a weekend. I, I would collapse in 15 minutes. <laughs> My head would explode. And then we talked a little bit ahead of time. You're not a big beer guy, but you do like whiskey. So is there a particular, do. is there a particular whiskey that you, uh, that you enjoy when you're practicing? Oh, I, yeah. I love, uh, you know, I'm into, I love exploring the, the world of whiskey. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, <laughs> it's definitely not like a everyday thing, but I, I love Lagavulin. Oh, sure. Scotch. Um, but that'd be an expensive habit to take <laughs> <laughs> if that was a regular thing. Uh, it's interesting being out, um, on the West coast in Portland, Oregon, there's all these great distilleries around, um, and I recently found one that's right down the road from where I am I'm living at the moment. Uh, it's called Freeland or Freeland uh, Spirits. Oh, cool! It's this awesome company, um, and they're they're uh, distilling their own gin at this point, and they're working on their own whiskey. Um, but they're they're getting in some whiskey I forget from where, and sort of making their own blend. Um, so the the Freeland bourbon is quite good oh um, nice if you're a if you're a, a bourbon person or a gin person their gin is quite good um you can check them out they're an awesome company and they're they're actually right now making hand sanitizer oh that's a lot of i saw a lot of the companies are doing that that's pretty great yeah. man yeah that they're doing something you, like that you can't find hand sanitizer anywhere but yeah. a lot of companies right now are are making it and often this place at least is like selling it to people who want it but then if like you know, they're making it work if you you can't afford it or you need more for, you know, in the hospitals and stuff like that. Well, man, thank you so much for uh, for for sitting down and doing this. This is great. Definitely watch your videos over the years. And it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And oh, thanks um, for having me. yeah, man. And then and you're still doing you do, you do private lessons, Skype lessons and stuff like that as well. I don't do Skype lessons at this point. It may change um, depending on uh, <laughs> Portland, Oregon is a little more expensive to live in than rural Maine. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> right, we'll, right. we'll see how it all pans out, especially with, you know, as as the uh, the coronavirus thing continues, if it really hangs on, I got you know, have to change some things around. But for the most part, I'm not doing uh Skype lessons at this point, mostly mm-hmm. just uh, just the just Manda lessons. All right, cool, man. So mandalessons.com is where people go to find you. I'm sure, I'm guessing a majority of the people who are listening to this um, probably already know what it is. But if you don't, you are in for a great treat, especially especially um, with what's going on now in your downtime. If you have a lot of downtime, get ready to go down a, an incredible rabbit hole of stuff. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, Baron. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. 
All right, thank you so much to Baron for doing that. Uh, it was a great talk. Uh, be sure to go check out Baron. Uh, this is him playing in the background. Uh, I'm actually going to put all his songs on this album here called Fine Times on the uh, Spotify playlist for you to check out. He's also got stuff on Bandcamp as well. Thank you to Dylan McCarthy for uh, sending me a copy of that album. So great. I hope you enjoyed Mosquito there at the top of the podcast. Uh, next week, Tim O'Brien. Cheers, everybody.